Hello and welcome to the program. My name is Michael Finney. Today I am joined by Terry Spataro. Would you like to say hello? Hello and, and Michael, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm super excited to be here. Fantastic. Let's jump into it. Let's ask you a little bit about your background and what you do professionally. Okay, so I have a very interesting background, mostly creative. Um, I worked for a lot of well-known advertising agencies, uh, Madison Avenue types from Y&R to Ogilvy to my favorite, which was RGA. Um, Ended my career, oh, about 10 years ago in the world of advertising to opt into more like creative uh, focus, like super creative focus. So that's what I've been doing. Um, I'm a writer. I love science fiction-y stuff. Uh, I'm also an artist. I have a, uh, I have a long, long history of being in arts and, and now an AI artist. Very cool. I think the background in advertising and maybe at large uh, marketing is how you arrived at your most recent publication called AI for Brands, Embracing the Future. How did it come about in terms of development? So I'm so glad you asked that because that it, it came about for education. I had a chance to meet with some uh, former co-workers uh, last April um, when I was visiting New York City and we were kicking around ideas about AI and I heard a lot of different things from people and, you know, some folks were just, you know, using it in the way that was more experimental while others were actually using it more in the professional realm. And it, it kind of made me a little bit nervous that they were like uploading client data into like public, of you know, the open AI. So, I thought that writing this book, AI for Brands, would help in terms of giving direction, giving direction on, you know, what you should do when you're starting out, helping brands really understand it, and even helping the folks like in advertising to have sort of a primer on, um, you know, workflows and frameworks and everything from like copyright to law to things like that, so that Mistakes don't get made because, like yourself, Michael, I I love using AI, and I want to make sure that we eliminate eliminate some of the um, you know maybe future horror stories that could happen. So it misuse. Absolutely, I agree with you. Uh, you know, it is a new technology in terms of let's say consumer appeal, though in general. Um, you know, neural nets, machine learning, been around for a long time. Uh, And in terms of marketing, when we're looking at data, just numbers informing decision making, which is is very base, but, uh, you know, I see it as as drawing a line between that. Before we get too deep into that side of things, I want to ask you about your co-authors, Frank Sikernitsky and Whitney Tyndale. How did they get involved with the project and what did they contribute? You did the a most excellent pronunciation of Frank's last name. I always avoid pronouncing Frank's last name. Um, Frank and uh, Whitney 
and myself have been working together uh, for a while. The past couple of years, we've been doing various like startup things. Like uh, the first thing that we sort of focused on was around um, estate planning. And then uh, through our, you know, focus on estate planning, we took a huge step back because we thought AI might actually be useful in this realm. Uh, and that's where uh, both Frank and Whitney got super interested in the AI portion of things. So we shifted it to uh, creating a consultancy to help businesses and brands like understand where they should go with using AI. So Frank has a tech background, a very, very deep tech background. He's been um, CEO of a healthcare uh, organization, um, and um, he's been CTO of other um, development companies. And Whitney uh, has been in hedge funds for a long time. So we came. I, I met them both from. Um, a former co-worker of mine, uh, J.P. McAfee, uh, who was also working with us on different things, but J.P. has long since left us. He pops in every once in a while. Um, and that that's how it came about. So uh, I was like, you know what? There, we need to actually put together something, put it out there, you know, and help help companies and brands and agencies really understand you know, you know, the pitfalls of using AI, but, but the, the, the good parts of using uh, generative AI within their workflow. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely a lot of debate about how to apply the tools, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, a lot of questions are getting raised. There's definitely uh, legal aspects that are coming up. One of those that I want to hear more about is the relationship between generative work and copyright IP issues. You definitely address that in the book and maybe you can give us a little bit of shorthand on that. So that is a really, um, a really important aspect of understanding like on um, using generative and uh, the copyright right of branded, um, and IP and, and things like that, intellectual property and stuff like that. I think, um, to make it very short, uh, I think you have to be very careful and, and work with legal to understand, you know, what's acceptable use. Um, but also avoid those problems of, you know, uh, overzealousness of, you know, maybe or accidental uh, use of uploading, you know, material into uh the art portion of the generative AI. So I think um, I think there has to be sort of um, a way of looking at things, and each company is going to be different on on how they wrote their intellectual property and how it goes in terms of uh, use with AI. I think each company needs to come up with a very good, important policy on that. So policy making should be taken internally. So that the um, the copyright and brand doesn't, or the IP of the brand does not get um, used in in ways that shouldn't be used. Yeah, there's definitely an interesting relationship between what is kind of 
getting exposed, right, uh, in terms of editorial and pictorial content right now, uh, you know, most notably, I would say probably the New York Times relationship with OpenAI, but then we're seeing uh, different artists kind of trying to pick away at companies like MidJourney or Stability AI. Um, and this, to me, you know, I see some line between that side of things and maybe like what companies would produce in terms of a, a branding or design manual and how they explore that kind of stuff and what they make available because, you know, yes, they own, they own this work, but then also they are making sure to publicize that so that it is used properly and so that their brand has um, proper representation wherever it finds itself distributed to. And, you know, in the sense of New York Times editorial material, um, they house that on their site, but it finds its way out into the web in general. And it, it becomes this mimetic thing that kind of has a little bit of, of life of its own outside of the control of their, um, you know, distribution properties in very similar ways that a brand does for a company, uh, you know, their style, their logo slogans, all kinds of things like that. You're, you're absolutely right. I think one of the most interesting case studies that we have is what Coca-Cola did in terms of getting uh, consumers to, use the generative AI that they created for uh, use of the logo and stuff like that and artwork. But that that's a very interesting case study in a way that it, it's public, but it's, it's public for use, right? But everything gets fed back into Coca-Cola. So I, I thought that was a very interesting way of a brand approaching the uh, the intellectual property issue uh, and maybe misrepresentation. Like we we do have some interesting illustrations in the the AI for brand book that sort of allude to Coca Cola, but we don't say Coca Cola. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think um, I think they they did something that I thought was first so brave of them, um, and secondly it. It was just very, very innovative, too. It's like inviting your consumers to, you know, create concept and uh, seeing what happens. But also it helped with, um, what is it, training of their generative AI. So I think, um, uh, maybe I'm wrong, I think it might have been McKinsey who helped them develop the um, the uh, the whole uh generative AI for them to use. I, I can't remember, uh, offhand. Not sure myself, but I do like the thinking that they followed through with there where they're basically making tools available to their consumers and in general, an audience of potential users of those tools and taking advantage of what those people are turning out. It becomes a social campaign in a sense that, you know, uh, they are doing that developmental work, but on the content side, they're basically allowing everybody else to explore at will. 
You're absolutely right. I do. I do think that that is a great way to um, push it out there socially and get it, you know, see different concepts from social media. I think what they also did, which was also interesting, was I think they took like the 10 best uh, creations and invited those people that did those creations into this, um, I want to call it like a, a workshop. And uh, so they physically went to Coca-Cola and attended this workshop for a couple of days to talk about like why they designed what they designed or what prompts did they use and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting way of really involving the consumer in the brand and also, you know, the generative AI that was that was used. Let's drive a little further down that avenue and tell us other ways that you think brands, companies, and users could integrate the tools with their strategy for marketing, branding, uh, social, anything along those lines? Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And I, I just to take a slight turn off of what Coca-Cola did, I think I think all brands need their own generative AI on their own servers to to get the to to be as effective. Um, I think they they all need to take it like in house, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and they they could they could use the same you know I don't know logic or same uh, marketing campaign that Coke did uh, in terms of they they want more help in terms of training. I think that's a good way of doing it. But I do love the idea of all brands having their own. That way there's there's no misunderstanding. There's no worry about, you know, I call you know, sometimes I call like what we're doing to open AI is creating, you know, these this kind of pollution that's happening. Um, whereas it stays kind of pure within the brand uh you know, kind of closed a generative AI. And I think that will, you know, sort of um, circumvent some of the copyright issues that could, could happen or other things like misuse or inappropriate use and things like that. So I do like that idea. I think everybody should have their own. <laughs> I agree with you. I run, you know, primarily local models on my own computer obviously it takes a little bit longer but at the same time uh you know i have control of it and i'm not using up credits i'm not giving away information to a third party um allowing them to further train on my thinking or uh you know target me retarget me uh, you know, I know that we're talking about branding and marketing here, but at the same time, uh, I don't want to give away whatever sauce I might have in development uh, before I'm ready to put it out there for people. Um, you know, I do use a few different tools, um, you know, here and there, uh, one of which is Pika, which I love. Those guys are fantastic. Um, but at the same time, I am looking at uh, local generation for video. So what are some of the best practices as you guys have developed them and explored over the last, say, year, year and a half 
that you talk about in the book? So one of the most important things is actually understanding like what's happening with your employees, like understanding the level of education they have by using generative AI. I think that's, that's, that's so critical to any brand, like understand what your creative team or your development team, or even your tech team's understanding of it. And then you go from there. It's like, okay, let's build out uh, the platform. Let's get more educated. And then let from here, let's investigate like how best or, you know, what is the best way to use generative AI within our company or for use of our brand? I think we, you know, we have to kind of, you know, use the sort of um, framework from any form of strategic thinking for brand, you know, and go through that as as if, you know, AI is part of it. And, and that's what we did. We actually rewrote some of the ways of thinking about brand and uh, reformat it so that, you know, um, companies can actually have that sort of framework to go through and ask those really critical questions of like who, what, why, and, and how, and uh, then build it from there, Wh- whether they, they choose to, you know, c- bring it internally, which I really hope everybody does, or, or, or select those, you know, public access models that are are going to be beneficial to them like anything we do is like I, I stopped like um I I know you know we all like got involved like last year was super exciting with all the new trends and changes uh, of tools but I think we have to stop and you know from a business perspective or a brand perspective and look at it is it just because this this tool is cool or is it because it's actually going to aid us in what we need to do or what we need to create or how we need to extend our, you know, brand or product line or things like that? Absolutely. Hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> no, I, you know, definitely, you know, you wrote the book on it. So your insight is valuable. <laughs> Let's talk about the future. Where do you see things going? What are you looking forward to? What should people know that uh, is around the corner that perhaps they aren't familiar with? So this is where I kind of diverge from, you know, business thinking. And I like to sort of get into the world of like sci-fi thinking a little bit um, or futurist thinking. I, I think we're at such an important phase right now. We have more people that are coming on board and they're getting used to it. I, just to tell a, a, you know, a quick, delightful story. Like my mom is in her eighties. She's in her mid eighties. And I showed her how to generate her own, you know, um, art using, you know, Wombo is the easiest. Right. And the delight. And she said to me, I'm just going to print these out and paint them afterwards. And I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. But, you know, going beyond it and seeing like, you know, can I literally talk to it instead of typing things in? Can it become more helpful? And I would like it to be more assistant based, you know, uh, or, you know, even like modifications to things like I, I still use mid journey, but um, modifications, instead of like giving me four, asking me what set I prefer, 
you know, and going from there and how to branch off from there. I think we're going to see levels of, of much more sophistication coming from the generative world. Um, because it, at first it has the, the widest number of different types of cohorts using it. Right. And, uh, secondly, it, it has the pool that that wide cohort to ask how to refine it and, and make it better and things like that. I th- I'm looking forward to, to the the more assisted. You know, right now we have some assistance, but I want more assistance, and and that's where I see the future of this going. That's fair. <laughs> what about yourself? What do you think? So the stuff that is interesting to me is being able to have multimodal textures, mm-hmm. um, you know, being able to push a prompt that is creating audio and imagery, potentially um, video based off of these combinations of things. Um, and then also having some kind of editorial feedback loop that is like metadata related. And this is, you know, this is, I'm, I'm sitting here speculating with you. I, you know, I have, I, am I seeing this stuff happening in pieces, but not in yeah. totality. Right. Um, so that's kind of what's interesting to me. Cause the, when I'm working on things, it's, it's always multifaceted. It's always for me, everything either starts with the written word or an image. Mm-hmm. And I kind of try to expand out from there, whichever side, if I start with an image, then I'm going to editorial. If I'm with editorial, then I'm moving over to imagery and then I'm developing those things into some kind of like, uh, moving imagery and soundscaping or thinking, okay, uh, you know, here I am, I'm going to try and work on voiceover as it relates to the editorial, make sure that that's connecting with the imagery and the sounds that are occurring. Uh, you know, that's always, that's always my trajectory with creative. I love that. I'm right there with you. I think we have a very similar workflow. It's like I start with the idea of writing it down and then do some writing on it. And then, you know, then it branches off. Is this a book? Is this a, is the, does the book become a video? Does the video have music and, and, uh, you know, audio to it and things like that. Hundred percent. I, I love, and the part that you talked about is so brilliant. It's like, okay, I'm in the middle of this workflow. What kind of feedback can I get back? Right. You know, I, and that, that's one thing I have to say, you know, I know Bard is probably going to go away, but I do ask Bard questions for feedback and it gives me really good feedback on things. Whereas like, I can't get feedback from mid journey, you know, I mean, I could say, give me four images. Okay. Which one do you like, Terry? Pick the one of four. (laughs) I don't, I don't use mid journey anymore. I stopped using it, um, in the summer of 2022. Yeah. So I don't know how much data they are tracking and, and use in terms per user on that side and kind of like relaying those things into constructing maybe a personalized model for each user. Um, I'm sure they're aggregating that data on their back end to inform their model, but I'm not sure how personalized that is. And, you know, I just don't know. That would be so awesome. 
Right. So um, when I wrote the book, right, I started with an outline. I filled in the paragraphs and the chapters and and went from there. But I I wanted a more polished, you know, uh, so my writing is good. It's not great. The book is a lot better. So I use copy AI. I have yet to give up my copy AI for something else because since 2020, it actually start, is starting to understand the nuances that I like nice, and putting them in there. And I was, at first I was scared. I asked, like, I, I went back to it and I'm like, you, you added that, you added that whole category. And I'm like, why did you add that category? And the response like was, because I know you like nuances. <laughs> I'm like, wow, <laughs> that was weird. Um, but I was relieved. I thought it did a better job of drilling into the category than I, than I was doing. And it was great. It, it, created, it created like not only new categories, but new themes. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even think of these. <laughs> That's fantastic. I've used, uh, I use Mistral locally and, uh, another model to kind of bounce ideas around. So most recently I'm working on volume three, of a book, uh, on national parks that I do. And I kind of do these chapters based on each park, but then I kind of bookend on, on both sides to the beginning and the end of the book, just kind of, you know, writing on my thinking or just general generalizing. Um, and I didn't really know what I was going to do for this one. And I had just very rough snippets of phrases and, and words and kick that into Mistral and a few other models, Falcon and, and something else and let it just kind of spit out additional thinking. And then from that, I took notes, my own notes, and then I fed that back in again and let it, you know, write something, uh, you know, blog posts or whatever based on that. And then I took more notes based on that and then began to actually write what will be, uh, you know, the introduction and um, the uh, the ending chapter of of the book that will come out later this year. And it's been a great process in that way to have just that feedback loop. And, you know, none of what it's written is going to find its way into the book. But in terms of just prompting it and it prompting me to think more that loop has been extremely useful it really is it's a really good feedback loop i think the other thing you said is like you know we you and i are both multimodal right but i like the idea of having a you know one dashboard where i could bring it all together and not separate it you know across so many you know, other AIs, like each AI has, for me, has its own very particular purpose. I've got the, the one that helps me with writing, the one that helps me with images, the one that helps me with video, the one that helps me with audio, and the other that helps, that's a lot of going back and forth between things, right? Yeah. And, and at some points, I feel like, oh, I have an idea, and then I forget and it's like by the time I've gotten all all the way through the chain, I'm like, why didn't I incorporate that idea? Now I've got to start all over again. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I think I don't know if it'll be this year that we'll see agents kind of take yeah. off. Um, I 
I feel like I see development occurring there and advancement occurring there, but I'm not certain that they're going to be deployed into like the consumer retail level or even the local level. Um, and in that way, if they're on someone else's server, it's going to take a lot of work to get all of those integrations across all the different tools that we use. Mm -hmm. And because of that, if you can develop a really good agent that is insightful and uh, helpful, then you can probably develop your own tools that will supplant some of the other things that we like. For example, OpenAI, they have ChatGPT uh, and they've got Dolly. If they develop an agent, and we've seen this a lot with their the third-party API integrations, you know, they make one mm-hmm. development and it kind of puts a lot of other smaller startups out. We might not need or they might not allow us to use some of these other tools that we prefer because of style or interface or outputs or whatever. Um, so that's something that that I'm concerned with uh, in general because I want to be able to pick and choose like what I'm utilizing and taking advantage of. So to, yeah. to kind of wrap up with you, uh, are there any points that we haven't addressed that you feel like we should? Actually, there there is something that I wanted to share with you, something that Frank created, and I, I think you'll get a kick out of it. We act Frank created a model that lives on his um, his server, and you could basically talk to the book. That's awesome. So here I'm here here's the link to it. And then you could basically if you if you have questions about the book, you could go to the model and then ask it. And what I love about this is if you ask it, um, you could ask it any question. It'll either tell you it could answer it or or it won't answer it. Um, but it, if it's a question from the book, then it will answer it and reference where it got the information from. That is brilliantly recursive. Isn't that? It's great. Um, and uh, yeah, Frank is, is super super smart and has done a lot of, of things about putting, you know, how to, how to add the AI interface to it so that it becomes a lot, a living book rather than just like something you read or listen to. So, um, and if you have questions, it, it actually is helpful. So if you're, you're like, I can't remember where I, I learned about the legal precedents and ongoing debates and things like that. You could um, basically ask it questions on where that is and stuff like that. Very awesome. Well, Terry, uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk today and sharing your book and your insights and knowledge with us. Thank you, Michael. I, I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. I, I think this was a, such a great conversation and um, I look forward to more. <laughs>